Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Warriors in the Wine Press by Pastor Sean Wood. Uh, for many years I planted trees. Now, planting trees and running a afforestation crew is pretty hard work. Uh, the guys I had were pretty rough and ready, rugged kind of guys, but lo and behold, uh, it was hard to find guys that were willing to do the work. You only got paid for what you did, so if you had a... <laughs> If you had a bad day, you didn't make a whole lot of money. And I can remember this uh, snivelling, poor excuse for a two-foot-two Tasmanian dribbled on into the crew, and uh, his name was Hori. He was a New Zealander, and he was a little bit confused. He, he, he couldn't make up his mind whether he was wearing shorts or trousers. His shorts used to come halfway down his shins. Every single person in the crew said to me, Pastor, uh, boss man, not pa- uh, by the way, they, nobody called me pastor when I was in the forestry, you'd be pleased to know. Uh, they said, boss man, they said, what were you thinking when you hired this guy? Uh, and I said, oh, I said, he's, he's got a great heart uh, and I think he will make it. And uh, uh, long story short, these guys used to place bets among themselves to see how long some of these guys would last. And they had, some of them had a day, I had a guy two hours one guy, uh, two hours, put his hands up and say, I'm walking home. Uh, an hour and a half drive, and he said, I'll walk home and hitch a ride. That's how good the work was some days. Uh, but turns out, uh, I actually saw something in this young guy. Uh, I mean, he used to run, almost looked like he was going to fall over all the time because he was trying to bring his trousers with him uh, all the time. Uh, and uh, do you know uh, his first day, I mean, he planted like eight boxes of trees in a whole day. I had guys that could plant 10 boxes by 10 a.m. in the morning. And, and he struggled along the roads. He was falling over the rocks and picking himself up. And uh, these guys were sure that one morning we were going to turn up and he wasn't going to be there. But he turned out to be my best planter. Wow. Give this guy six months and everybody else was earning $300 a day. Hori was earning $500 a day. Hori said to me, he said, you know what? He said, you only work half a day on Friday. He said, it's not even worth me getting out of bed. He said, I make enough money in four days, I'm not going to come on Fridays. And he did. He did. What some guys were earning in a fortnight, Hori could earn in four days. And what everybody immediately looked at Hori and said, there's nothing in this guy. There was something on the inside. Sometimes we look at the outside. Sometimes we let outward appearances and everybody else's preconceived ideas and notions to, to tell us How many people know that God looks at the heart? And for want of a better term, there's a lot of Horries sitting in church pews today. Where everybody else thinks you'll never make it. Everybody else thinks, you know, you're past, you're defined by your past. And and maybe that's you here this morning. Well, uh, I'm excited for what God has to share with us today. For those that have met me in uh, Judges chapter 6, we're going to work through the story of a very interesting guy by the name of Gideon. A little bit of a backstory. Judges is, uh, the best way you could sum the book of Judges up is that they had no leadership, so therefore the people of God did what, did what was good in their eyes. Nothing ever, nothing ever positive happens when God's people decide we're going to do what looks good in our eyes. Nothing, nothing good ever comes of that, but when we have 
what looks good inside of God's eyes. And so what happens is there's no king. By the time we get to Samuel, they, they cry out for a king and Saul is anointed as the first king. And Judges is the record of God sending deliverer after deliverer after deliverer to rescue God's people. And today we're going to be introduced to one of the most prominent ones. Most of us will know the story of Gideon, but most of us may not identify with his story. But I love his story because... So often in the Old Testament, you read the phrase, and God raised up, and God raised up. And we kind of told the information after the fact. Such and such happened, and God raised up. Well, today, we get a front row seat in the process of God raising up a mighty man of valour. Before we go any further today, there are men here today that need to hear this word. And what God's got to say this morning. As we begin in uh, chapter 6, we're going to breeze through the story uh, of Gideon. But as we begin, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You will read that throughout the Old Testament. You will read that throughout the book of Judges, uh, that God's people did what was evil. What we know is that they have come out of Exodus. They have come into the Promised Land. They are surrounded by the Canaanites. And and they have allowed the, the customs and the culture around them to conform them rather than being transformed by God's word. And I wonder really whether God's people, I wonder whether that has changed dramatically. In thousands of years, has that story changed so much? Are we not so often prone to allowing the world to conform us and to shape us and to press their ideologies instead of allowing God's word to transform us? I think if we're honest with ourselves today, all of us to some degree have possibly been guilty of this somewhere in our lives. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is very important for what comes next. And here's some of the scariest words you'll hear in Scripture. You hear them in the Old Testament and you hear them in the New Testament, but these are the scariest words you will find in Scripture. And it says, and the Lord gave them. The Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And a little bit more about Midian in a moment, but they're, they're really scary words. When you read the Lord gave them, uh, it's not like God's like, I've had enough of you, and so I'm going to brush you aside. It's like, you know what? If you want to continue in your sin, if you want to continue playing uh, a church, if you want to continue pretending to be my people, then I'm going to lift the hedge for a moment. And see how you go without me. You want life on your terms? You want to live life your way? You think you can do everything right? You reckon you want to build your own platforms? Maybe we bring that into our day today. And God says, you know what? If you want to do it your way, you know everything's right and perfect, then I'll lift the hedge and we'll see how you go. Something we need to understand before we go any further. The Midianites were there before this. They didn't just suddenly turn up on on the scene. But what happens is when God gives them over, and we read this in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, God gave them over to a debased mind, it says, to practice those things which should not be done, says Scripture. And what God is saying is, you know what, if you think you want to do life on your terms, let's see how you go without me. We live in a culture today that says, I'll do life my way. The culture outside says, we don't need God. You know, when we get to the Exodus series very soon, uh, Pharaoh will say, who is this God? And is that not the question we hear outside these walls? Who is this God that I should obey him? 
Verse 2, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And uh, Midian was uh, initially one of the sons of Abraham to, to a then person by the name of Keturah. He had a number of children to Keturah. We then have the Midianites. Now, the, the Midianites were somewhat nomadic. They kind of travelled around. They didn't really kind of settle anywhere. But they did recently uh, discover an enormous advantage military-wise. It's called camels. They would be able to come... Who'd want to try and train camels, right? But these guys had harnessed camels and they were able to move in quickly and overpower their enemies. And that's what's been happening here now that God has lifted his hand... We see that Midian has come in. And where we find the people of God, we find them hiding in dens and we find them hiding in caves. They are cowering. They have been suppressed. They have been pushed down. They are cowering in fear. And that is not the place for the people of God. God has not designed any of his people to occupy caves and dens worrying about outside forces. But Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Verse 3, for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land. What's going on here? Every time these guys would be about to reap a crop, in would come the people of the east and pillage and devour and completely wipe it out. Friends, we have allowed the enemy to pillage and devour us, our family lives, church life, for far too long. So desperate was the situation. You might even be sitting here today saying, you know what? There's so much of that that describes parts of my life, seasons of my life, and, and you might say to yourself, what on earth do I do? Uh, the interesting thing is that uh, what we read here is the Lord gave them over, and so many people say, you know, the Lord's forsaken his people, but who abandoned who? Hold on to that question for a moment as we finish this off, because verse 6 it says, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Isn't he gracious? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he merciful? Throughout the Old Testament, you will read time and time again that they did what was wrong, they disobeyed the voice of the Lord, they, they went against the covenant, and then when they find themselves in positions like this, they cry out to God, and what does God do? He comes and rescues them time and time again. But how much is that our story? How many times have we slipped and stumbled and fallen? How many times have we said things we shouldn't have said, thought things we shouldn't have thought, and we know it's wrong, but we keep doing it? And how often does God reach out his hand when we cry out to him? Whatever you find yourself in today, cry out to God. Man won't save you. Life coaches won't save you. But cry out to God and he will help you. Let's keep reading. Uh, they cry out to God for help. And I love what, how God responds. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet. Stop the bus. How many people are going, hang on a second, yeah, nice that you send a prophet, but where's the deliverer? We, kind of, we don't need a prophet right now, we need a deliverer. No, they need a prophet. 
Because he's going to come and bring the word of God. He's going to proclaim God's message so that it removes all confusion right now. The prophet's got a message for the people of God and I believe this prophet has a message for us as God's people today. It's a wonderful and it's a beautiful message. But it's sometimes hard to swallow. The message is this, to the people of Israel, and he said to them, thus says the the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. What's, What's part one of the message to Israel? I am a faithful God. I am the one that delivered you. I am the one that brought you into this land. I am the one that drives out your enemies before you. What is the message to us today? God is the one who has saved us. God is the one who leads us. God is the one who preserves us. So what's the message from the prophet to the people of God? But you have not obeyed my voice. What's the prophet saying? God is a faithful, awesome, merciful God, but you have become faithless. Prophets of the Old Testament rarely brought good news, friends. Well, they did bring good news, but it was hard to digest. Like kale. But I love how it's never the end of the story for God. It's never the end of the story for God. It's never the end of the story for his people, and it's never the end of the story for us. Let's keep reading on. Now, the angel of the Lord. Be careful when you read that in the Old Testament. It is often a reference to God as Gideon will find out. This is no angel. This is no messenger. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Not Oprah. Ophrah. Which belonged to Joaz the Abizrite. What's wrong with Paul the Brisbaneite? Hey, this. <laughs> While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press. We're now going to be privy, we're going to get a front row seat to how God raises up his man in this instance. And I believe it's a very important message for many people because God has been and God is raising up people in this room. Raising them up for a certain time and a certain period. And where do we find Gideon? We find Gideon. He's going to, Gideon will be listed as one of the heroes in Scripture. You read uh, Hebrews chapter 11 where it lists all the heroes of faith. Gideon's chucked in at the end. Uh, but what, where do we find him? Where do we first encounter Gideon? He's beating out wheat in the winepress. What's the problem with that? You're never designed to beat out wheat in the winepress. You see, the winepress was often something that was located at at the bottom of the hill so you could bring the grapes down the hill and and wheat was supposed to be trodden underfoot by the ox on the threshing floor. Huge quantities. And the ox would would tread out the grain. You read that in the New Testament. Don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain, right? In other words, let it eat while it's doing its work. But instead we find Gideon cowering in the winepress, beating out small quantities of grain. See, Gideon's found himself in the wine press because he's enormously afraid. He's enormously discouraged. Midian and all these eastern nations have come in and oppressed and now we find that they have reduced Gideon to the wine press. 
And can I tell you today that there are men and women of God in the wine press and you were never designed to be there because you are being robbed of the potential of our harvest because we're allowing the enemy to push us into the wine press. It'll be kind of like, you know what, I'm happy here with my little harvest. I'm happy here with my little life. Not many people know I'm a Christian. I go to work. I do my thing. I come in here with my Sunday makeup on Sundays, but I'm living life in the wine press. And God's never designed for you to live in the wine press and to allow your harvest to be robbed. It's time for God's warriors to get out of the wine press. I'm going to press the pause button for a moment. There is one thing we need. I can remember Ravi Zacharias when he went to the Middle East. He met one of the prominent sultans in the Middle East, had lunch with him, and as he was leaving, Ravi turns to a Muslim, right, and says, is there anything I can pray for you for? Very well. And he says, if you are going to pray for my country, he says, pray that God will raise up men in this country. I want to press the pause button for a moment. We're going to get to everybody else in a second, but I want to kind of eyeball men in this room today. It's time for you to lead your families. It's time for the men of God to step out of the wine press. Stop letting everybody else tell you who you are. Stop letting the culture around you tell you who you are. Stop being discouraged and afraid and grab hold of the sword that God has given you and lead your family. This is not about submission or anything like that. This is about men taking up the mantle that God has given them. Now I want to speak to everybody this morning because there's worship leaders in this room today that are sitting in the wine press. There are preachers in this room today that are still in the wine press. The enemy knows what God's called you for, but he's pushing you into the wine press. There's, there's missionaries in this room and God's kept you in the wine press. The, the enemy's subdued you and robbed you of your harvest and you think all you have is what you have in front of you right now. This is my lot. Beating out a little amount of wheat. No, no, that's not what God's called you for. God has called men and women to stand up. There are those here, there are home group leaders in this room today. There may be future pastors in this room today. It's time to get out of the wine press. God's called you for so much more. Many of us will identify with Gideon as we work through this. I know when I was reading this, I did. Uh, we find Gideon beating out the wheat in the wine press. And verse 12, and the angel of the Lord, by the way, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The angel of the Lord is Jesus. Just wherever you read that, uh, you need to be careful. Some people have some weird ideas about who that is, but it's Jesus. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. <laughs> is, this, is there nothing else? God's greatest blessing and our greatest need is his presence. Uh, uh, recently, um, I became a grandfather. Thank you to everybody who just said, how could you possibly be old enough to be a grandfather? <laughs> uh, and I get the privilege of looking after my grandson. And uh, the, the other day, he was uh, on the floor and he couldn't see anybody. And he was crying, upset. But the minute I came into the room and he could see me, he was okay. Why? Because there was presence. And whatever few you have this morning, that's an acronym for frequently used excuses. Whatever frequently used excuse you have today, God has the same answer. 
Let me take you through some of the excuses that I found when I was looking through Scripture. And Moses says, I can't speak, and they don't know who I am, and they don't know who you are. Jeremiah said, I'm too young, and I can't speak. Mary said, how can these things possibly be? Peter said, I am too sinful. And he was right. Peter said, as he looked at Jesus, away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Too sinful, too young, too old. Moses was 80 when God called him out of the desert. I've heard all of the excuses, and God's answer is the same for every excuse that you have this morning, and that is, I will be with you. I remember listening to a message by the now departed Reinhard Bonnke. What a great man Reinhard Bonnke was. All the South Africans went, yay! But uh, Reinhard Bonnke, what a ministry he had. God used that man powerfully, praise God. But I listened to a message that was titled, Lo, I am with you always. If you can find that message, listen to it. One of the greatest messages I've heard. But what a promise Jesus left us. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you in the mission field. I am with you in your workplace. By the way, whenever you leave those doors today, you enter your mission field. God bless you as you enter your mission field today. We're all missionaries or imposters, C.H. Spurgeon says. I can't wait to meet C.H. Spurgeon when I get to heaven. It won't be hard to find him. He'll be in the smoking section (laughs) for those who know his biography. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, I will be with you. You know, when I read through the Old Testament, Joseph, you read about all the hardships Joseph had. You know, he was put in jail, but God was with him. But God was with him. But God was with him. And whatever you're facing, and wherever you find yourself, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. And how many of us are thinking, hang on a second, are we still talking about Gideon here? Did, Did God just look at himself in the mirror, or did God forget his glasses when he came down to have a chat to Gideon? Mighty man of valour, where do you get that? This cowering little dude in the wine press and you're saying mighty man of valour? Yes, that's exactly what God is saying. And all that the people of God would begin to see themselves through the eyes that God uses. All that we would look in Scripture, all that we would look in the New Testament and look at ourselves as how God sees us. Redeemed, loved, purchased with a prize that you have been, wait for this word that's coming up, that you have been clothed with Christ. Wait till we get to that word. That's That's awesome. So many people here are looking in the wrong mirror. When you're trying to determine who you are and you're looking in the wrong mirror, here's the mirror you should be looking in. Here's who you are. If you're wondering who you are today, here it is. You can't know the fullness of who you are until you meet the one who created you. I love how God tells Gideon, where he's going, doesn't talk about his past, doesn't ask him what he's doing in the wine press. You're a mighty man of valour, Gideon. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, how many of us would have responded like this? If the Lord is with us, careful using that word if, that's why I'm not a Calvinist, because the Bible's full of the word if. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds? And are we not asking the same questions today? If God is with us, if his presence is with us, then why has all this stuff happening in my life? Why does it seem like everything's going wrong? I guarantee you, if you decide to stand for God, things are going to start going wrong. Uh, Here's how to know when you're on the right path. The enemy's trying to attack you. It comes in many forms. It looks different. It might come in the form of people. It might come in the form of many different ways. But the enemy will attack you 
And you might be saying, well, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to me? And if God is with us and if God is with his church, then where are all the wonderful deeds we read about in the book of Acts? I don't know how many times I've heard that question. Where's all God's wonderful deeds? Maybe the problem's not with God. Maybe God's waiting for us. But don't we ask the same questions today? Why and where? Where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. I'm sorry, who forsook who? Who abandoned who? And he has given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14. And the Lord turned, and some translations will have, and the Lord looked at him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. You know when God sends you. Jesus says, I was sent. We heard those words this morning. He knew why he was here, and that carried him through. Do you know one look from God, when God looks at you, it can change your life. Verse 15. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? So first of all, Gideon doubts God. If there was an Old Testament version of doubting Thomas, we have it right here. What I love about doubting Thomas was that when God met him right where he was at, when when Jesus opened his hands and said, you put your fingers in here, put your hand in my side, Thomas was transformed and cowering, doubting Thomas would take the gospel to India and be flayed for his belief. Something transformational had happened inside of Thomas. Something transformational is going to happen in Gideon in a moment. So first of all, he doubts God and now he doubts himself. And how many of us, how many of us would say the same thing this morning? He says to me, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And if you're wondering today, look around the room if you want to, but if you're wondering today, uh, who's God going to use next? Pick the most unlikely person and that's the one God's going to use next. The scripture is full of men and women that God used that were enormously broken, sinful people. But God used them. And what does that tell us? How glorious and wonderful God is. You know, when I read the New Testament and I'm reading the book of Acts, I'm kind of wondering, God, why didn't you just smack Paul with a bolt of lightning? Right? Why didn't you, instead of appearing to him and revealing yourself to him, why didn't you just wipe him out? You read through the book of Acts and the epistles of how much glory God got because they now saw Paul preaching Christ crucified. The one, they said, who persecuted us is preaching Christ crucified. And they were all amazed. The greatest miracle God does today isn't healing and it isn't raising the dead. It is transforming the human heart. And it happens every day. It happens inside. I've seen it happen over the last five years in this room. And I love God for that. I get the greatest job in the world because I get a front row seat to the greatest miracle. And that is God transforming people's hearts. Gideon says, I'm the least and I'm the weakest. Paul would have said, of all the people you choose to take the gospel, you're choosing me? Yes. 
And you might be sitting here today, you, don't, you might be saying, you know what, I'm too old, I, I've, I've had my opportunity and it's past. I could tell you of a pastor that, that started off early in ministry, went away from the church for about eight or nine years, thought that his days were done, thought that this would, God would never use him again, and then on comes God and puts his finger on that person and God used him. And there are people sitting in the room today, I, I've had my chance, you don't know how many mistakes I've made, you don't know how many times I've got it wrong, you are right where God God wants you right now. We need to stop looking to the physical and start saying, God, who am I? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And what does God say? He says, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. How can I possibly pack up everything and go to the mission field? I will be with you. How could I possibly ever think that I could lead worship? I will be with you. How could I possibly think that God would use me to preach the word? I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favour in your eyes, then show me a sign. How many of us say that to God? God, if this is really you, show me a sign. We're going to get to the fleece. Anybody laying out fleece? Don't raise your hands. Anybody laying out a fleece today? Hang on to that thought for a moment. Should we be laying out fleeces today? Hang on to that thought for a moment. Fast forward with me, if you will, because uh, Gideon says, show me a sign, and that's exactly what God does. Bring me the stew, bring me the broth, pours it over the rock, and God consumes it. And something transactional, something very deep and transformational happens in Gideon's life. Come down quickly, verse 22, then Gideon perceived, or it was revealed to Gideon, that he was the angel of the Lord. Uh, It's not just an angel now, have a listen to Gideon's words. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace or Jehovah Shalom, which means he is well disposed towards you. The peace of God, if you don't know God's peace today, then don't leave here without having God's peace. God's peace on the inside is something that everything on the outside can't take away from you. God's peace is not the absence of conflict. It is an inner calm in the midst of conflict. Gideon says he's the Lord of peace and he is well disposed towards me. Why? Because he should have wiped me off the face of the planet. How dare I think that I can see God face to face The Lord is well disposed towards me. And something deep and transactional has happened. Why? Because he built an altar. Throughout uh, the Old Testament, you'll see that such and such happened and he built an altar and he built an altar. What does that mean? It means that God and man have met and something powerful has happened and they built an altar. Jacob built altars. Abraham built altars. Gideon built an altar because something has happened. And if we keep reading on, 
Uh, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down, pull down the altar of Baal. Take, take, take your father's bull, take the prize bull that they were going to offer to Baal, take all of that and go and offer it right now. It's interesting how our God's process of raising us up looks like what I work in must be worked out. Everything that God works in uh, is for a missional aspect that it would work out and it would flow out. Uh, God has done something deep and powerful inside of Gideon and now it's time for Gideon to take a stand for God. Now it's time for you to take a stand. Pull down this bowl right now. Everybody is going to know what has happened here. He's not going to be able to hide this. Jesus doesn't have a secret service. The Prince of Peace does not have a secret service. It's time for Gideon, the cowering little afraid dude in the wine press to stand up and say, there is one God and we must remove the rest. That is our call here as the people of God to take a stand for God against the idols of our culture and say there is one God. I tell you now, you can't do it on your own. He builds the altar, he does everything that God tells him, but he does it at the night time so nobody can see. You know what, and God still doesn't smite him. Oh, what a gracious God. Then we read, we're going to bring this to a close now. Then we read that everybody finds out. And if you come with me down to verse 33, it says, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the Ichibites and, and, and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Why is that verse important? Because now uh, all the uh, enemy and all the tribes of the east have gathered. They're coming to plunder and to pillage and to destroy everything again. Something different is going to happen though. But the Spirit of the Lord, you've got to grab this word. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. I could preach a month, I reckon, just on that word clothed. That's powerful. Uh, One commentator says one way you could read that is the Holy Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. Wow. But that word clothed uh, in the Hebrew speaks of enveloping another, completely surrounding and encompassing another. There there is a process where, uh, isn't it interesting how when you take a stand for God and you puff your chest out and you call out the idols around, that it's then that God clothes him. We read, interestingly, in the New Testament, similar words, like in in Acts chapter 8, it says that uh, the Holy Spirit fell on those. And that word fell means that the Holy Spirit took possession or seized possession of. Now, if, if you pray in tongues here this morning, God bless you. If you don't pray in tongues, you should seek God for that. But there is, tongues is not baptism in the Holy Spirit. That is an evidence of the Spirit's work? Absolutely. Is there a second blessing? Absolutely. But it's when the Holy Spirit baptizes us. It is an immersion in the Holy Spirit. It's where we no longer see you, we see the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me give you an idea of what this kind of sounds like. For, for those who haven't gathered yet, I think I've got every biography on Smith Wigglesworth, a Yorkshire plumber. And, and I love the story of Smith Wigglesworth because if God can use somebody from Yorkshire... Love you, Dawn. 
But Smith Wigglesworth learned to read on the Bible, taught by his wife to read on the Bible. He was preaching, he was working with his wife in the Sunday school, and he heard about this other blessing. It wasn't that he lacked power, it wasn't that God wasn't using him, and it wasn't, please grab this this morning, it wasn't that he wasn't saved. Oh, he loved Jesus. But there was something more God had for him. And so he gets on a train and he travels miles away and somebody prays for him and nothing immediately happens. But he comes home and in a prayer meeting, something deep and transactional happens. And he gets up to preach. Five minutes into preaching, Polly, his wife, stands up and says, that's not my Smith. A different man. I can't see Smith anymore. I can just see the Holy Spirit. How I pray the Holy Spirit would clothe each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit so clothed Smith Wigglesworth that after visiting somebody, a friend in hospital, and walking down the aisle of the, the corridor of the hospital, didn't even look at the man, but there's a Catholic priest sitting on the bench, doesn't even look at him, doesn't say a word to him, but as he passes by, the priest gets on his knees and confesses his sins. That's not Smith Wigglesworth, that's the Holy Spirit. We thirst for that today. We thirst that God would so clothe us. But the Spirit, something different happens now. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet or the shafar. And the shafar and the trumpet was always associated with something pivotal and something miraculous. They blew the shafar when it was the year of Jubilee. They blew, the, they blew the shafar to announce that God was coming down on the mountain and to invite the people up. And, and they blew the seven trumpets. Remember, after encamping the circle, uh, the trumpets went before the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God. And, and they went around the city seven times. Then they blew the trumpet seven times and the walls came down. Something miraculous is happening and something miraculous is happening now. Gideon blows a trumpet. This, this, this frightened, this, this discouraged little boy that was in the wine presses now standing up with a trumpet calling all of Israel to action saying we're not going to take this anymore I wonder God is blowing a trumpet in the spiritual realm I firmly believe God is blowing a trumpet to his people in the spiritual realm saying no longer shall you be oppressed no longer shall you be suppressed no longer shall you be quiet I'm going to clothe you in the Holy Spirit yes please But good old Gideon, huh? We know how it all ends, don't we? We know how the next part goes. He does, by the way, he, he, he powerfully, uh, God demonstrates his power through Gideon and, and they powerfully overcome Midian with just 300 men. God makes sure. You won't, you won't say you've done this by your hand. And, and so there's a whole lapping and drinking water thing that happens. But, but we all know Gideon for one other reason. We all know Gideon for laying out the fleece. And I don't know how many times I've encountered this, even as a pastor, but throughout my, my, my Christian time with many people who said, you know what, I, I believe God might be telling me to do this, so I'm going to lay out a fleece. And I've told God that, that if this happens by this time, on this day, then maybe I'll go. And you know what? The message to Gideon is the same message to us today. God has already told you. Roll up your fleece, tuck it away, and go and do what God's told you to do. You don't have to wait for the Jew. You don't have to wait for any of that because God has given his, his word and his word is go and make disciples of all nations, 
preaching the gospel. What else do we need? But his word and his promises. Friends, today I hope you hear a trumpet. Wherever you find yourself today, when I read this, I know God's blowing a trumpet in my heart, but I, and I know God's blowing trumpet in people's hearts today. Wherever you find yourself, will you respond to the trumpet and get out of the wine press? God has so much more for you. Will, you. will you begin to see the victory that you have in Christ and who you are in him? I'm going to pray and close the meeting in a moment. But I wonder if we can just sit in silence. Sometimes God does his most powerful work when we just shut up. Can we just sit in silence in his presence? Did the Holy Spirit put his finger maybe on your heart this morning before we close? Father, as we sit here this morning, we know the work of the Holy Spirit is to take what is of the Father and of the Son and to testify, to to make it real to us. And so I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would take this word and make it real. Make it real in the hearts of men in this room this morning. Make it real into the hearts of every person finding themselves in the wine Father, I pray. Lord, we, we cry out to you and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would clothe each one of us. Clothe us with your grace. Clothe us with your love. Clothe us with your power. Clothe us, Holy Spirit, with your presence. I pray that every mighty man and woman of valour in this room this morning would hear the trumpet of God blowing in their hearts. It's time to come out of the dens. It's time to come out of the caves. It's time to come out of the wine press and no longer allow the enemy to push us down. Father, in your wonderful name, we pray this morning. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today 
and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.